0: On 15. By the way, I uh, put the cough drop in my mouth early so uh, when it gets done, then you get done early, right? <clears throat> At least I think it's a cough drop. I don't think it's a pebble. We were talking about the preacher this morning that made a habit of uh, putting a piece of candy, a cough drop, in his mouth when he preached. And when it was done, he was done. Somebody slipped in a pebble in his pocket, and he, I don't know if he's still preaching today or not, but um, John chapter 15, and we want to continue on here in the passage that we looked at this morning. Again, I'm sorry for my my voice being a little rough this evening again, but uh, I do feel uh, better uh, if that's possible, but uh, we want to look at... Uh, drawing closer to Christ, drawing closer to Christ, and that's done through abiding in Him. Every truly born-again child of God longs to know Jesus, I think, more intimately. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're saved tonight, it should be your desire to just know the Lord better and better every day. The Apostle Paul said that he counted everything else as dung, rubbish, trash, so that he would know Christ. He said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now he had been a believer for about 25 years when he wrote that. And he added that he had not yet obtained his goal. Well, after 25 years, then certainly we all need to work to be closer to Jesus Christ. Now, some of you here tonight, including myself, have been saved for more than 25 years. Some maybe 50, 60 years or more. We won't go into that. But there are those of us who've been saved a long time and we still need to be growing closer to the Lord every day. Now that's the topic of our Lord as he that's in this particular text on the night before he died. The overall theme is abiding in him. Uh, we could call it dwelling in him or making him at home in, a, in our hearts. The idea is to grow closer to Christ uh, where we live in daily fellowship as uh, with Him. Now at John chapter 15 verses 1 through 5 we looked at this morning John used the analogy of the vine and the branches to teach his true followers to abide in Him and to bear much fruit. Now He gives to us some aspects, some things that we need to know as we desire to grow closer to him. To grow closer to him, we need to abide in him and his word and prayer, to live, to glorify the Father by bearing fruit. We need to abide in his love. We need to obey his commandments and stay focused on his joy. As James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. How do we do that? Well, first of all, notice three ways to draw closer to Christ. Look at verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, we saw a similar promise back in chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, where it says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that that the Father may be glorified in the Son... If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So to ask anything in Jesus' name means to ask on the basis of who he is and what he's done for us on the cross. It assumes that we're seeking to do his will and to promote his kingdom purposes. And here in verse 7 of chapter 15, rather than asking in Jesus' name, the condition that Jesus lays down is that we must abide in him and his words must abide in us. And while similar to asking in his name, I think the, uh, the, the meaning here is just slightly different. To be closer to Christ, first of all, you must abide in him. Now I'm going to quote from this morning's message what it means to abide. The word abide is an imperative. That means it's a command. The believer is commanded to abide in Christ and to ensure Christ abides in the believer. The word abide means to stay or remain. To not abide in Christ is a serious act of sinful disobedience. And the context demands that we understand the meaning to do whatever is required to ensure that we live in continuous spirit-filled fellowship in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the believer's will must be so fully surrendered to Christ that the two wills seem as one. This reality should be the condition of the heart before any person makes any request to God. Now that person wants intimacy with god before he wants things from god the factor defines living faith anything less is simply foolish attempt to manipulate god into doing what we want him to do now i want you to notice this that abiding in christ includes both the concept of time and quality The factor, the time factor, means that it isn't a quick fix to solve all of our problems. It isn't a remedy to pull off the shelf when things aren't going well, only to put it back on the shelf once life is back on track. Abiding in Christ is a lifelong relationship with Him. You're in it for the long haul. That's the time factor. But there's also the quality factor, means that the relationship grows more intimate over the years. Just as marriage is a lifelong relationship with both partners growing closer to one another over the years. So it should be with Christ. But as those who have been married for very long know, growing closer isn't automatic. It requires purposefully spending time together. And you have to keep working on it, especially when the issues come up. If you don't work, it, work at it, it's easy to drift apart. Same is true in abiding with Christ and in Christ. There will be times when you feel closer. There are times when you're going to feel more distant. But the key is to keep coming back to Him and keep working on your relationship with Him. You can't put it on autopilot. So abide in Him. The second thing here to grow closer that He talks about in this verse is His words must abide in you. He says in verse 7, And my words refers to what all all that Jesus taught. Now, since all the Old Testament was written to point to Christ, as we read in Luke 24, verse 27, in the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then down in verse 44, it says, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. The Old Testament pointing to Christ. Christ. And since that's true and then all the New Testament points to Christ, letting his words abide in us means we need to be home at home with the Bible. The whole book. Not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. Not just your favorite passages, but the whole book. The primary way that Christ is going to reveal himself to us is not through dreams or visions, but through his written word. If a dream or vision contradicts what the Bible says, then it's not from God. God. So if you want to grow closer to Jesus Christ, you need to spend time, much time in His Word, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Christ to you. So to grow closer to Jesus Christ, read your Bible over and over and over until you're at home with it. Now, I said this this morning, I want to repeat this again. I warned you that I would. So don't be surprised. The Bible is the word of God. It's his speech all the time. The reason nobody from Moses to Isaiah to Peter ever asked God to speak through his word is because they knew the entire book was his word. Every single word in the Bible is as much of God speaking as if one were to hear his audible voice from heaven. So what should we do? We need to stop asking God to speak through the Bible. When you or someone else does, they, when they ask to speak through the Bible, I think you're really denying that the entire Bible is him speaking. It's his speech. And I think that's a very serious insult to God. God. And yet, as unintended as it may be, instead of asking God to speak through his word, why don't we pray, dear Lord, as the psalmist prayed, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God's word is speaking every time you open it, every time you read it. So ask Him to open your eyes and then listen to His Word. The problem is we hear very little when we read the Bible or we hear it preached. The problem is not with the Bible. It's not with God. It's not that He fails to speak. The problem is not with Him failing to speak through His Word. The problem is with us. The Father through the Son must enable us by the Spirit to understand, to apply and obey His Word. So we need to have His words abiding in us in order to draw closer to Him. And then thirdly, we need to ask and receive from Him in prayer. Jesus says that if we abide in him and his words abide in us, then ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Now, the context here is bearing fruit for the kingdom of purposes. So, when he says, what ye will, it's not a blanket promise that covers, Lord, I wish I had a million dollars. Lord, give me a million dollars. No. It's not, I wish for a happy, trouble-free life. Lord, give me a happy, trouble-free life. No. Jesus is talking about whatever we wish to help further his kingdom purposes through us. Now, as I pointed out when I spoke on John 14, verse 13 and through 14, and we've, it's been a number of weeks since we've been there, these seemingly blanket promises that Jesus repeats, not only here uh, in chapter 14, but here in chapter 15, verse 16. And then in uh, chapter 16, we'll see that again. And sometimes it's not easy to understand and apply even if we limit them to prayer for His kingdom purposes. Maybe you've done this Well, as I've done this, prayed for the salvation of someone, but they died before they got saved, as far as you know. Maybe it was a a relative or a friend or a neighbor, someone you prayed for, and you prayed for, Lord, please save this person. And as far as you knew, they never came to Christ and they died. I've prayed for healing for Christian marriages that ended up in divorce. I have prayed for restoration for believers who were sinning and they haven't come back to Christ. So how do we wrestle with this problem? Well, notice a few things that we can do and realize. And first, Notice the tension we experience stems from the fact that we can know God's will of desire, but we can't know his will of decree. While God desires the sanctification of all believers, he also permits sin and he even uses sin for our ultimate good. Remember, Jesus prayed for Peter not that he wouldn't fall but that his recovery from that fall would be used to strengthen others and we should pray that God would further his kingdom purposes but we also need to submit to the fact that we don't know his will of decree any of any situation and then secondly Jesus promised to do whatever we ask does not negate the many scriptures that exhort us to wait on the Lord. Jesus doesn't say when he will do it. Paul's longing in his prayer for his fellow Jews was for their salvation, Romans 10.1. <clears throat> but he never saw that prayer answered. Thirdly, notice that God often accomplishes his purpose in ways that seem backwards to us. You know, we pray for the gospel to be spread so God sends persecution. Don't you think we could spread the gospel better if we weren't persecuted? We pray for power so God makes us weak. seems like many times we say, God, you're doing this backwards. And then we do not understand all that God is doing. And it may be that we go to our graves not knowing why he seemingly didn't answer our prayers. You see, we only see a very tiny fraction of what God is accomplishing in his eternal pro- uh, purpose. And somehow, though, he uses our prayers in the process, even when we don't know how to pray as we should. But here's Jesus' point in John fifteen seven: is that if we live closely with him and his word governs our request, we should be asking and receiving from him on a regular basis. So, to grow closer to Christ, abide in Him, abide in His Word, and in prayer. And then, notice, secondly, to grow closer to Christ, we must glorify God by bearing much fruit. Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. <clears throat> now, we again saw in our last. Study the purpose for which God saved us is that we would bear much fruit. The point of planting a vineyard is not to grow pretty leaves, but it's to grow fruit. You know, you can have a garden with the most beautiful leaves and it can be great and huge and everything, but if you don't have beans on the end of those bean plants, they're worthless. Right? God has given each one of us different gifts. And we're to use those gifts to bear fruit for His kingdom. Now, I'm not much of a gardener or a botanist. I can identify some types of trees, though. You know, if I see a tree that's loaded with big orange uh, things, I'd say, that's an orange tree. Wow. Brilliant, right? I've seen trees with red things on them, and I've concluded that's an apple tree. You say, well, duh. Anyone can identify identify a tree by its fruit. Yes, I recall Jesus said something like that, didn't he? Matthew 7.20, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them? Luke chapter 6, verse 44 For every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of the bramble bush gather they grapes. It's true, but it's also kind of convicting. Someone should be able to look at your life, at my life, and say, Aha, that's a Christian. You know why I know that? Because of the fruit. They should know by our fruit that we follow Jesus. Now, since God saved us so that we would be fruitful for his purposes, it's important to know what fruit is. Now, generally, fruit is Christ's likeness produced in us as we rely upon the Holy Spirit. And just as orange trees bear oranges, not thistles, So a Christian produces Christ-likeness as the root of this is not just going to church or serving in the church or being a moral or religious person, but having Christ dwell in us through the new birth. And if if you haven't trusted in Christ to save you from your sins, you cannot bear fruit in your life that glorifies Him. You can do all kinds of good things. But that's not what brings glory to God. Jesus says that we will glorify God when we bear much fruit. And As others see what God produces in us and through us, as we live closely to the Lord Jesus, they will get a glimpse of what he's like. And more specifically, when people see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, temperance, God's going to be glorified. By the way, if an orange tree bears oranges, a Christian should bear Christians. We need to see the fruit of bringing other souls to Christ. Now, to bear fruit that glorifies God, it's important for us to keep two things in mind. First, check your motives. Why do you want to bear fruit? It's easy to fall into the trap of serving the Lord so that others will say nice things about you or to you. If you feel hurt when people don't give you enough praise, it probably indicates you're not serving the Lord for God's glory. But your own glory. Or if you want to build an impressive ministry so others will say, Wow, what a great man of God. I believe your motives are wrong. Because you're seeking your own glory, not God's glory. Secondly, check your source of power. If you're serving the Lord in your own strength, you're just asking Him for a little help now and then. You're not serving in His power, you're serving in your power. You see, serving in his power doesn't mean you don't work hard, but rather that you work hard as you rely upon God's power. Paul put it this way in Colossians 1.29, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. If you feel burned out, chances are that you're serving in your own power, not God's power. Seems like there's a saying, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Wasn't that it? Uh, The speaker that we had at the pastor's toolbox this year at Camp Chatech, he says, I don't know about that saying. Because he was talking to us about burnout, you know. Burnout's not a good thing. Rusting out's not a good thing. And we won't burn out if we won't if we'll put our our trust and our source of power is God. If our source of power is ourselves, we're going to burn out. We're going to rely upon ourselves, and we can't do it. Hey, remember what it says in John chapter fifteen, verse five: "And without me, ye can do nothing." So there's a benefit when you glorify God by bearing fruit. John, uh, Jesus says here in John 15, verse 8, that you, so shall ye be my disciples. Fruitfulness in Christian practice will not only bring glory to God, but it will supply the best evidence to your own heart that you're a real disciple of Christ. That means when you see God work through you and you realize the results are not because of your cleverness or your hard work, but rather because God worked it through you. Wow, that's assurance of the heart that I'm a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And so to grow closer to Christ, we abide in him, we abide in his word, we ask and we receive From Him through prayer, we live to glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. And then thirdly, we abide in His love. Look at verse 9. Abide in His love. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Now that's a staggering statement right there. Just as the Father has perfected love Prefer, I should say, perfectly love the Son, and he's done that throughout all eternity. He never wavered in his love. That's the way Jesus loves his people. That's a lot of love. That's the greatest moment motive for why we should want to grow closer to Christ. He loves us with infinite, inexhaustible love. Again, that hymn that I I think I referenced last week, or recently anyway, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Or as Paul puts it in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, abiding in Christ's love is absolutely essential if you want a genuine, fresh, fruitful Christian life. If your experience of his love fades His commandments will seem burdensome. Serving him will become a drudgery and you'll become vulnerable to all sorts of temptations. Remember how the Lord confronted the church at Ephesus. They were serving him. They were persevering under persecution. They were upholding sound doctrine. But the Lord said in Revelation 2 and verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He was probably referring to their love for him. But the way you keep your love for Christ fresh is to remember his great love for you. Never get over the wonder that eternal, the eternal Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 Verse 17 That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. But we need to think this through a bit, maybe more carefully. You know, often Christians say, I don't know if God really loves me because He's putting me through these trials. And they mistakenly think, you know, if God really loved me, He wouldn't allow these awful things to happen to me. But Jesus says here that just as the Father loved Him, So he loves us. Did the father's perfect love for the son mean that he had spare him from the trials? No. See, he came to do the father's will, namely came to die on a cruel tree, the cross. And so does the Lord's perfect love for you mean that he'll spare you from all trials? Certainly not. Not. Because usually through the trials we come to know him more deeply. And it's what Paul called, again in Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Someone said, never interpret God's love by your circumstances, rather interpret your circumstances by God's love. And then number four, Obey his commandments. Verse 10: If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus doesn't let us think that abiding in his love is just some warm, fuzzy feeling. He's plainly stating to us that to abide in his love, you have to keep his commandments. The flip side of that is that if you're not abiding in His love, you're not living in obedience to His commandments. I think it's relatively easy to obey the Lord when things are going well. But the test of obedience is when He takes you through the difficult trials. And at such times you may not understand why these trials are happening. But like Abraham walking to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, We have to trust and obey. The story is told of watching a shepherd and his dog. And the dog would herd the sheep up a ramp and into a tank of antiseptic where they would be bathed. And the sheep struggled to climb out, but the dog would snarl and snap in their faces to uh, force them back in. And just as they were about to come out of that tank, the shepherd would use a wooden implement to grab the rams by the horns and fling them back into the tank and hold them under uh, in the antiseptic again for a few seconds. And someone asked the shepherd's wife if the shepherd understood what was happening. And she replied, or asked the shepherd if, if she, he asked the shepherd's wife if the sheep understood what that was happening. She replied, "They don't have a clue." <laughs> and the one that told the story said, "I've had some experiences in my life that made me feel very sympathetic to those poor rams. I couldn't figure out for any reason why the treatment that I was getting from my shepherd." The shepherd I trusted, and he didn't give me a hint of an explanation either. As they pointed out, we still trust our shepherd. We still obey him, knowing that he has our best interests at heart. It's through obedience in times of suffering that we grow closer to our Savior who suffered and died for us. So to grow closer to Christ, you abide in him. You abide in his word. You abide in prayer. You live to glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. You abide in Christ's love and you obey His commandments. And finally, to grow closer to Christ, we must stay focused on His joy. Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now, if I were to ask you this evening, what word pops into your mind when I say obedience? What would you say? Would you say duty? Would you say drudgery? Would you say rules? Would you say no fun? What about the word joy? Joy. Would that pop into your mind if, he, if I use the word obedience and you it oh, joy. What about fullness of joy? You see, Jesus associates obedience with our experiencing full joy in him. That's what he's talking about here in verse 10 and 11. If we don't associate obedience and the fullness of joy, maybe we need to change our thinking. It's interesting that in John's gospel, the word joy has been used once so far. Back in John chapter 3 and verse 29, it was used by John the Baptist. But you know, in the upper room, as Jesus faces the cross, now he uses it seven times. He'll use it twice in this verse, in verse 11, then he'll look, we'll see it in chapter 16, in verse 20, 21, 22, and 24, and then chapter 17, in and, and verse 13. You see, the world can only offer joy when things are going well. And it's relatively easy to full, be full of joy when you have a happy marriage, when you have beautiful children when you have a satisfying, well-paying job, when you have good health. But it's only those who know Christ who can say, as it says in Romans 5 and verse 3, we glory in tribulations. And we count it all joy when we fall into divers temptations. As it says elsewhere, 1 Peter 4, verse 13, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, that doesn't mean put on a happy face even when you're hurting inside. Just go around and smile. Hebrews 12 and verse 11 realistically says that God's discipline for a moment does not seem joyful, but it seems sorrowful. The Bible acknowledges that there is a time for tears and there is a time for grieving. But as John Newton said it well glorious in the song glorious things of thee are spoken he said fading is the world's best pleasure all is it's boasted pomp and show solid joys and lasting treasure none but zion's children know and so tonight i want you to think about your relationship with christ if you don't have one You can begin by coming to the cross as a repentant sinner and believing in his death and his resurrection for you. Or if your love for Jesus has grown lukewarm or even cold, get back into the word. Get back into praying, make it a daily priority. Make it your aim to live to glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. Dwell in Christ's love, obey his commandments, and stay focused on his joy. And I believe that's Christ's prescription for us to grow closer to him. Let's pray. Our Father.